And this week we find ourselves in chapter 17. Chapter 17 in our book, Spiritual Depression, is entitled Chastening. Chastening. And the biblical text Martin Lloyd-Jones uses as a foundation for speaking to his hearers about God's chastening is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11. Let me read that to you. The author of Hebrews says, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards, and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. But he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. And Lloyd-Jones begins this chapter by reminding us that a most prolific cause of spiritual depression is the failure to realize that God uses various methods in the process of our sanctification. There in the opening paragraph of this chapter, Lloyd-Jones says, quote, God's great concern for us primarily is not our happiness, but our holiness. And in His great love to us, He is determined to bring us to that. And He employs many differing means to that end. He goes on and says that our failure to realize these truths often causes us to misunderstand the ways in which God deals with us which can ultimately lead us to be depressed. So having said that, Lloyd-Jones highlights the fact that this is one of the reasons why the author of Hebrews has been supernaturally led of the Lord to write what he did in the book of Hebrews. In the 12th chapter of Hebrews, we learn that sometimes God promotes sanctification in his children by chastening them. If we're truly in Christ, if we've really been born again by the Spirit of God, Hebrews 12, 5-11, teaches us that God is going to grow us. God is going to teach us lessons through occasions of suffering and chastening. And I like what Lloyd-Jones says at the bottom of page 235 and the top of page 236. Lloyd-Jones notes that one of the evidences of true living faith is God's chastening. God says here in Hebrews, whom he loves, 
He chastens. Whom God chooses unto salvation, He sanctifies. Whom He knows savingly, He will continually be concerned with forever. And this is another biblical truth that stands in contradiction to this notion that you can be a true Christian and habitually live as if you are not. Uh, This truth that Lloyd-Jones is bringing to our attention uh, conflicts with the idea that someone can be God's child and joyfully live in a state of rebellion for the greater portion of their life. The Bible says, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And Lloyd-Jones notes that the author of Hebrews is highlighting the fact that the whole of salvation is God's work from beginning to end And that God has his ways of producing his work. Lloyd-Jones also says, quote, Once God starts working, he goes on with that work as he said in Philippians. He that hath begun a good work in you will perform it until when? Until the day of Jesus Christ. So God does not start a work and then give it up or leave it in an incomplete condition When God starts His work upon His people, He is going to complete that work. God has an ultimate objective and purpose for them, and that is that they might spend eternity with Him in glory. So in other words, contrary to popular belief among many Christian circles, God does not, I repeat, God does not abandon His children after salvation. The work of sanctification does not lie solely on the decisions of believers. And then a lack of discipleship is not the sole reason why many are leaving the church. And we've been persuaded to believe that this is why people come and people don't stay. People come and then go. It's a lack of discipleship. Yes, that may be part of the element But Lloyd-Jones is pointing out the fact that many are leaving the church after their professed faith because they are lacking salvation. And we know that they're lacking salvation because they are lacking God's discipline. If they were truly in Christ, if they are true believers, true children of God, if they go back into the world, God's going to chase them. Just like He did Jonah and others in Scripture. So if somebody can leave, quote, the faith and live joyfully in sin year after year after year with no chastening, the scriptures tell us we should wonder if their faith was true in the first place. Whom the Lord loves, the Bible says, the Lord chastens. So do we have this truth in our minds? God finishes what he starts. God doesn't birth people into his kingdom and then give them over to Satan. God doesn't bring them to the faith only to allow them to fall back into the world. Those whom God saves, he will sanctify. And those God will sanctify, listen, he will one day glorify. And this is what we call the golden chain in the book of Romans, specifically Romans chapter 8. Remember, Paul says, for whom he did foreknow... He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, 
that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. That's the golden chain. That's the process of salvation. God knew you before you were born. God brought the gospel to you when you were resisting him. By his spirit, through the call of the gospel, he called you unto himself. He justified you, giving you his spirit. And if he gave you his spirit, he's going to start the work of sanctification. And what he started, he will finish. And he will finish in that process of glorification. So there are no ifs, ands, or buts about this truth. Either we believe God's word or we don't. It's really that simple. Whom the Lord loves, we're speaking in a saving way, in a personal way. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. If one endures chastening, the Bible says, God dealeth with them as his children. And if one continually says they have faith, but they love the world, and they love the things that are in the world, and they are without God's chastisement, then they are illegitimate children. They don't know what it means to be a Christian. For true Christians continue in the faith. True Christians persevere. True Christians are given instruction by God through His Spirit in the Word. True Christians will grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. True Christians are disciplined when they do wrong. True Christians will feel miserable when they grieve the Holy Spirit through disobedience. And the biblical examples and illustration of this one truth are endless. And Lloyd-Jones mentions them in the middle of page 237. We find God's chastisement taking place in the lives of many believers from Genesis to Revelation. We could spend a whole hour pointing them out, but he just gives a handful of, of examples And the first example he gives is Asaph in Psalm 73. You remember his testimony when he got his eyes off the Lord. When Asaph's spirit was so troubled by the prosperity of the wicked. And he began to become bitter against God. How come the wicked prosper and the righteous are forsaken? This was a problem of his faith. His feet were sliding. He was backsliding in that sense, doubting and filled with anxiety and fear and questions toward God. And yet, God dealt with his child when he went into the house of the Lord, then understood he therein. That's God's chastening. God rebuked his heart. God set his mind aright. He wasn't living in a right way, but God in his grace came to his child And reversed his thinking. So there's an occasion of God's chastisement. We find occasions of God's chastisement in the Apostle Paul. The many trials and heartaches he endured. And we'll read later that one of the ways that Paul endured the chastisement of the Lord was the thorn in the flesh. He had asked the Lord to remove it three times on three different occasions. God, if you will, take this away from me. It's too much. Take it away. And God said, no, when you're weak, Paul, then are you really strong? 
and in your weakness, that's the time that the power of Christ can truly rest upon you. So not understanding at all, this time of weakness, this time of struggle for Paul was an act of God's chastisement uh, to help Paul not to become so arrogant and high-minded as Paul was given favor in the Lord and seeing great revelations of God. And then we find God's chastisement in the Corinthian church. This might be one of the most popular occasions in Scripture. And you know what the Corinthian church was all about. Uh, they were about a party spirit. They were divided. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas. Church members were taking each other to court. They were involved in sexual immorality. And so much so that they were involved with things that weren't even named among the Gentiles. The Corinthian church were perverting the worship of God. They were boasting about the spiritual gifts that they have. They came to the Lord's Supper remembering the Lord's death, all the while they're pushing aside the poor at the Agape Love Feast. They're lacking love. They're lacking Christ-like humility. So what does God do? God sends Paul as a messenger to the church to rebuke them very sharply. That is the means of God's chastisement. God sends prophets. God sends preachers sometime to a church to just rip them. That's in the Greek. Rip them. Chastise them. Give them a spiritual spanking, so to speak. And we will find later, many grew sick and died within the church because of their irreverence, because they were treating holy things lightly. That's God's chastisement. And then we find God's chastisement being mentioned by James in his letter to those who are dealing with Various trials, diverse temptations. In the first chapter of James, James reminds these believers that they need to let patience have her perfect work so that they might be perfect, mature, entire, wanting nothing. They were going through a time of chastisement of the Lord, but it was for their good. And then we find in the book of Revelation, Jesus says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. And this message is given to the church, to specific churches. As many as I love, speaking of his children, what is a church? A church, by definition, is a called out body of believers. As many as I love, I love my people, I love my sheep, I love my church. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. So these messages that are coming to the churches in Revelation are not messages of judgment. They are messages of love. They're messages of grace. So this doctrine runs right through the Bible from beginning to end. And we can't push it aside. We can't turn a blind eye to it. It pleases God to chasten those who are His children. Now, having introduced his topic, Lloyd-Jones goes on, answering several questions about this biblical topic of chastisement. And the first question he answers in the middle of page 238 is, what is chastisement? We have to start here with a definition. What is it to be chastened of the Lord? 
And he says that chastisement simply means to train. He notes that sometimes we often confuse the word chastisement with the word punish. But this is not the correct meaning. To chasten means to train. It includes correction, but it also includes instruction. It includes rebuke and punishment, but its end goal is the development of someone's faith into maturity. So this is what chastisement is. And we need to have that at the forefront of our mind. It just, in our first hearing of it, sounds like harsh punishment, doesn't it? Chastisement. You're being chastened. And again, Lloyd-Jones notes that sometimes God's instructional ways are harsh to us. But they're always done in love. They're always done with a specific purpose. When we hear the word chasten or chastisement, we need to think of the word to train. To train. Train up a child in the way that he should go. That's what God is doing with his children. He's training them up in the way that they should go. So there's the definition. There's what chastisement is. It means to train and to train to maturity. The second question Lloyd-Jones answers for us is the question regarding how God chastens His children. How? Having answered what? Now we turn to the how. Lloyd-Jones says very largely, God frequently chastens His children through their circumstances. And I like this. He's noting the fact that nothing in our lives happens by accident or by chance. Every detail of life is sent our way by God for a specific purpose. And what's the purpose? Spiritually speaking, the purpose is to teach us and to train us. Right? Romans 8.28 And we know. Who's the we? Believers, God's children. And we know that all things, not some things, not many things, not most things, no, all things work together for good. What good? Our financial good? Our prosperity? Our health? No, spiritual good. Our growth in Christ-likeness. That's the ultimate good. For we know that all things work together For good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His Word. Right? And so, this is what Lloyd-Jones is bringing together. Everything that happens in our life, everything, every event, every trial, every feeling even that comes our way, is brought our way so that we might grow in Christ, so that we might know Him. And getting more specific, Lloyd-Jones says that one of the ways God chastens His children is by, quote, bringing about some financial loss, a change in one's material position, the loss of goods, the loss of possessions, and the loss of money. So what is the common word used there in that phrase? Loss. 
One of the ways God chastens his children is through loss. The loss of a job, a personal financial crisis, loss of fill-in-the-blank. Sometimes God sends that our way to wake us up. Wake us up to reality. That this world is not our home. Our treasure is to be set in heaven. We are to live as pilgrims and not to set up camp here in this world. God sometimes brings loss so that we might find gain in His kingdom. The circumstances of life. And then another way God chastens His children is through health difficulties. Health difficulties. We've mentioned 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The church in Corinth, many were sick. Many were afflicted. Many were dying in the congregation because they were treating the Lord's table lightly. They were treating the Word of God in a flippant matter. And God brought that as a means of chastening. And then another one I've mentioned was Paul's thorn in the flesh. God gave Paul an opportunity to see God as others had not seen him. To experience this wonderful revelation of God Paul being uh, brought up into the third heaven. Now, it would be natural for, for men to grow haughty, to, to grow proud, arrogant. Well, huh, I must be God's special servant because look what I got to experience. And then immediately, God sends this chastisement to keep him low. And then we also remember the testimony of Job. How can we speak of chastisement and not mention Job? Job chapter 1. How much did Job lose? Well, he lost his farm. He lost his livelihood. He lost his children. His wife tells him to curse God and die. You're going to maintain your integrity in all this lost Job? His friends come to him and criticize him. He loses his health, his strength, so much so, he's so desperate, he seeks to cut off these boils that have built upon his arms. This guy is struggling. But God is sending these things Job's way for what purpose? To show the devil that Job is going to persevere in the faith. To show the devil that what God starts, he finishes. Remember Satan's accusation? He only serves you, Lord, because you give him a paycheck every week. He's only in it for the money. Take away everything that he has on a human sense. He will curse you to your face. So God sets this test up without Job's knowledge to show Satan and to show others that there are people who will serve God for God. That there are people who love the Lord just because they love the Lord. Not because of what they get from the Lord, but because they have a genuine faith. So Job says, though he tried me. I shall come forth as gold. There's a purifying process. He doesn't understand everything, but he does understand that. There's a purifying process going on. It's hard. It's difficult. Job had his doubts. Job had his fears. Job had to fight off bitterness. But in the end, Job persevered, and he was made all the much better because of it. He's an example to us. So another way God chastens his children is through Health difficulties. 
A third way God brings chastisement in the lives of his people is through persecution. Persecution. And persecution of every level. We might call small persecution, being cussed out, being abandoned by a family member or relative, and then greater persecution that we read in the Old and New Testament. People being scattered from their homes and their communities. People being stoned to death. People being dragged into prison for their faith. God can use persecution to bring about chastening, training. Now, these Hebrew Christians were being persecuted. And through their persecution, God's intention for them was to grow and to be a light to the Gentile world. And then a fourth way God brings chastening is through death. Through death. Job, obviously, experienced the death of his children. And then we think of Ezekiel's wife. Remember the prophet Ezekiel? This is not often quoted, but Ezekiel's wife, if I remember correctly, called the desire of his eyes. Um, Ezekiel's wife died. And as an illustration of the nation's waywardness, if my memory served me correctly, God tells Ezekiel not to weep for the death of his wife. There was a parallel lesson there for Israel. But nevertheless, Ezekiel dealt with a great blow in his life. He lost his wife. And then we read through church history how, how many missionaries and pastors and preachers and servants of God did the will of God and they lost wives and husbands and children and family members. Why? Why? God's chastening. God's training. And then another way God brings chastening is through the withdrawal of His presence. The withdrawal of His presence. And my mind immediately goes to David in the Psalms. How many times do we find David in the Psalms crying out to the Lord saying, Lord, where are you? I'm trying to seek you and find you, but you're nowhere to be found. Why have you cast me out of your presence? Sometimes in life we meet with what we call the desertions of the Spirit. We're doing everything that we know to do. We're in the Word, we're praying, but we feel so distant from the Lord. We feel so cold. Why? Well, sometimes God allows us to go through the valley of the shadow of death so that He might bring us to repentance. Sometimes He brings us to the end of ourselves so that we might seek Him more urgently. It's for our good. So sometimes God will just step back so that we will take three steps closer to Him. And we'll examine ourselves and put our hands to the plow more fervently. So don't get discouraged. If you're doing everything you know to do that the Bible explains regarding growing in Christ-likeness, but you just feel so distant from God, maybe it's God's training. Maybe God is proving the sincerity of your heart. Abraham offering Isaac. Oh, Abraham could have threw up his hands and said, Lord, I mean, I've been faithful. Why this? Why my son? Why in this way? And we know the reason we have the scriptures. It was to test Abraham's faith. To see if it was genuine. To see if it was sincere. To see if he will do everything God tells him to do. To see if he was wholly surrendered. Sometimes God will bring these desertions of the Spirit to see if you're wholly surrendered. Are you just a part of the Christian faith because of the happy emotions you get? 
because of the excitement that happens within the collective body of the church? Or are you going to be faithful even when you don't feel like it? You see, God has ways of testing us and proving our motives. God has many ways of chastening His children. And they are all interwoven within the circumstances of life. People that come across your path. People that annoy you. People who are different in their opinions regarding everything. Why? Is this accident? No. Training. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Remember. God brings these occasions together so that we can show long-suffering and patience and forgiveness and grace and mercy. Chastening, training. That's how God chastens His children. And then the third main question Lloyd-Jones seeks to answer in this chapter on chastening is the question regarding why God chastens. Why? So we see what God's chastening is. Then we see how God chastens His children And now we want to look at why. Why does God chasten those He loves? And the answer is in the question. God chastens those He loves because He loves. And parents, you know what this means. You love your children, and in your love, you are going to train them. You are going to put them in difficult circumstances so that they might learn. You're going to teach them that the stove is hot. When they go to put their fingers toward that hot stove, ow! What'd you do that for? It hurt my fingers. It's for your good to teach you. You should not be touching this. Parents, you're going to show your children that stealing and lying are serious sins that can lead to a wrong path if they don't get this corrected. And the Proverbs tells us plainly, if we love our children, we will discipline them when they do wrong. Parents who truly love their children will spank their children. They will use the rod. Now, I know we live in a day where the common philosophy is just you just need to spoil your children. Don't ever tell them no. Just give them what they want, when they want it, and everything will be just fine. And that leads to a spirit of anarchy, a spirit of rebellion. God tells us, parents, if we love our children, we will not spare the rod. In love, we will discipline them. In love, we will sit them down and say, God says this is wrong. God says, because you've done wrong, I have to show you tangibly that this is wrong. If you love your children, you will teach them, you'll train them. If you don't love your children, you'll just let them do what they want to do. And so we parallel this with God and His relationship with His children, whom the Lord loves, He chastens. He chastens, why? Because He hates us? No, but because He loves us. That's why He chastens. Now, it doesn't seem like love in the moment, does it? This is love? Yes, it's love. Because He loves you, He's not going to let you run headlong in the world and be mixed up with things that will hurt you. 
the sheep that strays, the shepherd's going to go and pick up that sheep and bring him back to the fold. Those who he loves, he chastens. And then the final main point of consideration that Lloyd-Jones brings to our attention is the particular reasons or the motivations for God's chastening us. The reasons or motivations for God's chastening us. And beginning on page 242, Lloyd-Jones gives four main reasons. Four main reasons. Number one, the first reason includes what he calls, quote, certain faults in us. God chastens to show us our pride, to show us our self-sufficiency, ways in which we become self-reliant. And tied in with this is the second. God sometimes chastens us because of our self-confidence. There's a reason why Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In our flesh, we have the tendency to lean on our own understanding. It's possible to trust in the arm of the flesh. It's easy to become wise in our own eyes. God sometimes chastens us to show us our lack of faith or our self-confidence. God chastens us to strip us of our self-sufficiency. God brings chastening in our lives to wean us from the world. So that's reason number two. First, because... There are certain faults in us that we need to mortify, we need to recognize, put to death. And then God brings chastening to strip us of our self-confidence. And then number three, God brings chastening to wean us from the world. It's possible for the Christian to be attracted to the physical things of this life, to the sinful things of this life. It's possible for the Christian to struggle with sins that are produced by the old man that characterized the old life. The person you were before you came to Christ, remember? God is still working on that old man. God is still trying to bring the power of the Spirit to overcome the power of the flesh. God sometimes brings chastisement to show us that this world cannot satisfy We try to drink down the pleasures and the pursuits of this life and it only brings greater and greater unhappiness. And then fourthly, we find that sometimes God chastens His people so that they might be delivered from an attitude of smugness, as Lloyd-Jones puts it. To deliver us from an attitude of smugness. And this is the danger of being satisfied with the position we have reached in the Christian life. What is this attitude of smugness? The attitude of smugness is, I've been a Christian for 30 years. I've arrived. I've read my Bible through dozens of times. I know what it means. I know God's Word more than anybody else. I went to Bible college and seminary, got my doctorate. I'm mature. Others should be sitting at my feet and learning of me. I'm the most faithful servant this church has ever seen. Smugness. That's smugness. God sometimes brings chastening our way to wipe our faces of this smugness. But putting these things positively, Lloyd-Jones concludes by stating that God chastens us to bring about humility. 
God chastens us to bring about humility. And remember, humility is the crowning virtue of the Christian faith. A broken and contrite heart, God will not despise. David says, Psalm 51, if if God required sacrifice, that's what I would give him. But it's not physical sacrifice that pleases the Lord the most. What is it? It's a broken and contrite spirit. It's a spirit of humility. Remember, God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. God abides in, Isaiah tells us, the heart of the contrite ones. And so, God brings chastening our way to keep us humble. If we're not humble, we'll stumble. And this is God's grace. It's His grace upon grace. Yes, the Bible says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, but we have this natural tendency to grow proud and arrogant and self-sufficient, so God brings chastening our way to help us grow humble. So that's number one, positively speaking. And then number two, God chastens us to bring about a heavenly-mindedness, a heavenly-mindedness. God brings affliction, trouble, chastisement our way so that we might set our affections on things above, not on things of the earth. God brings chastisement our way to prepare us for glory, to give us a longing for heaven. That's what we're maturing towards. And Paul says, I'm, I'm in this straight betwixt two. I'm in this struggle. I have a desire to depart and be with God, but it's more needful for me to be with you. But until then, I'll endure the chastisements. I'll endure the training because I know one day my faith will become sight. God chastens us to bring about a heavenly mindedness. So in the midst of your problems, in the midst of chastenings, don't forget that. It's all to prepare you for heaven. Uh, This will soon pass away. Life is a vapor. It's not going to last forever. And so pray that prayer of Jonathan Edwards. Lord, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. And then number three, God chastens us to bring about a spirit of meekness. A spirit of meekness. What is meekness? Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is power under control. Think of a Mustang. A Mustang that wants to run. It's got power. doesn't want to submit to a trainer. But that power needs to be brought under the control of that trainer. Zeal. Israel had a zeal, but not according to knowledge. God brings chastening our way to bring a spirit of meekness. And Lloyd-Jones says that a pastor, in his work, one of the ways he's able to relate to others, on a personal level has come by passing through the same problems others experience. We learn to comfort of others when others are comforted by God. We learn to be patient with others as we see that God has been patient with us. So as we minister to others, we look back to our chastening and how God has dealt with us in our chastening. And God uses that for good. We've gone through our times of chastening, our times of training, so that we might be a blessing to others. So it's not just about us, is it? It's about the entire kingdom of God. God brings about chastening to one group of people to encourage another group of people. We're encouraged by the testimony of God's word. Say the first century church in their persecution, joyfully preaching Christ to the uttermost parts of the earth. We look at that as a great example. And in that moment, 
They didn't know anything about us, but they're an encouragement to us. So God will always use our circumstances of chastening. And next week, Lloyd-Jones brings to our attention, if we are not aware of such dealings from God, we need then to examine our salvation. If we don't see evidences of God chastening us, of God coming after us when we rebel, of God bringing us back to the straight and narrow path, if we can sin successfully, if we can go to the sinful things of this world and not be beat up in our hearts, if we can grieve the Spirit without any care, we need to check ourselves. We need to see if we're in the faith. And that's what Paul does at the end of 2 Corinthians. This is a church, yes. Many profess the Lord. Many are in the Lord. But with their acting like unbelievers, Paul doesn't want to assume that all of them are true believers. Because if they're not responding to God's chastening through Paul's rebuke and through the death that has come upon them in the midst of the congregation, uh, then there's a greater need. And that need may be salvation. And so maybe that's you here today. I don't want to wait till next week. And maybe you say, that's my need. I need salvation. I'm just going through the motions externally. I don't know Christ. I can care less what God brings into my life. I'm just going to push through it. I'm not going to acknowledge Him. Well, just know that the way of the transgressor is hard. It's hard. And your sins will eventually find you out. Whom the Lord loves, He chastens.